Hey guys, and welcome to episode 46 of Underrated, a show where we talk about great films that just don't get enough love. I'm your host, Gabriel Green, and I'm joined by my crotchety old uncle of a co-host, James Hamrick. How's it going? Pretty good. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. I know it's only been a little over a week, but I feel like it's been forever since we recorded last. It's probably just because I've just spent the entire time watching things. So I, I have a lot to talk about in our recent films. Yeah, it feels a while for me too. It's probably just because we've I've kind of spent the last four days moving. Um, it's it's a long move, which is really odd given that I, I'm only moving a part or to a new apartment that's about two or three miles away from my old one. <laughs> so, yeah, a move is a move, and they suck. Yep. All right, so today uh, it's my pick, and we'll be talking about secondhand lines. But before we get into that, I'd like to ask you guys, if you enjoy the show, to please do us a huge favor and go rate and review us on iTunes, and we would be forever grateful. Um, so before we begin the main review, have you seen any cool movies this week that you want to mention? Uh, I've only actually seen one. Last night, me and some friends went out and watched Logan Lucky, which I had been really looking nice. forward to. And um, have you have you seen it yet? Yeah, I saw it. Yeah. What did you think of it? Um, like the other two Soderbergh films I've seen, it's it, they're very enjoyable, but they have a tendency to just kind of just seep out of my brain after I've seen them. So I really liked it, but I have very little to say about it kind of thing. It was really weird for me because I I really enjoyed everything that I was seeing until a certain point. And then it, it felt like it kind of should have ended. Yeah. And then it keeps going, and I don't want to spoil anything for someone who hasn't seen it, but I feel like there's a really good movie that ends, and then the movie keeps going. It's like the, the movie should have ended before it did, and a lot of stuff that happens afterward just feels so unnecessary to everything that we've seen. It, it was just... The, the last act was just really, really weird to me mm-hmm. because everything beforehand had seemed really focused. Like the plot was always moving forward. There was all, We always knew what was going on and why it was happening. And we hit a certain point and it just feels like the movie doesn't want to end and kind of wanders around for a little bit before it finally finishes. Yeah, there's one element I like about that is that it it shows us that they're actually smarter than we, we just been, we've thought the whole time they're just a bunch of dumb hicks. But it does show that they're kind of smarter than we thought. But I do agree. It's it's a good 10, 15 minutes too long. And right at the end, which is the worst part to be too long at. Yeah. There, there were a few times where I'm like, surely this is the last scene. Getting, I'm kind of getting ready to stand up. But it cuts to a new scene. And you don't really know what's what's going on or why this movie is still happening. And then, yeah, it it is cool to see the way they explain it. But it, it kind of just comes out of left field to me and really messes up with the way it should have ended. Yeah. Just it, it doesn't yeah. feel like a proper ending. Yeah. Very oddly structured. Um, yeah, but otherwise, I I just had a lot of fun. It, uh, the acting is excellent. You know, Channing Tatum just gets keeps getting better and better, and Adam Driver's fantastic. And uh, the big surprise was uh, Daniel Craig, who's like absolutely nothing I have seen from him. I think this this might be my favorite performance from him. He's so funny. Like everything about him has changed in this movie. 
I am incarcerated. Like his, just even the tone of his voice, it's not even just him putting on an accent, but his voice itself is just, you hear it and you don't think it's Daniel Craig. It's so funny. And his, just his mannerisms, his facial expressions, it's a complete transformation from anything I've ever seen him do. But I do think that my favorite performance overall was Adam Driver in this. His, his, deadpan delivery of everything even even mundane things he could say anything in this movie and i laughed just because of how excellent his delivery of everything was just the way he pronounced words ended up getting a chuckle from me yeah it's 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 a very simple film it it follows the uh you know oceans 11 structure very closely they even he even calls it uh ocean 7-eleven within the film and uh, there's, there's like nothing incredible, but it's just a very enjoyable film to watch. It was just fun the whole way through. Um, so that, that that all you've seen? Yeah, that's it for me. Okay, so I've seen a a, a lot. I'm really kind of trying to rush through it. I saw Taylor Sheridan's uh, film Wind River. He's the writer of movies like Sicario and Hell or High Water, both of which I really enjoyed. And this is very much in the same vein, you know, a dark kind of twisted thriller with a a lot of subtext going on and i really i really enjoyed it i think i'm not sure i think i like hell or, hell or high water better and sicario i really like it but it, it just like sticks a knife in your gut and twists it around for an hour and a half for two hours so it's hard to like uh and this one even though it is brutal it's not nearly as bleak as that one so i i, I kind of rank this one it's not as it being directed by Taylor Sheridan, who's not as experienced as, say, Denis Villeneuve, it's it's a very simple direction. I think he uses the uh, the winter setting very well. Um, and it's just a really brutal thriller. But it also deals with other things like grief and loss. And, and I thought it, it did a great job with all of that. And it has a fantastic performance from Jeremy Renner, who is just excellent uh elizabeth olsen's great um it's hard to talk about without spoiling anything so just uh it's just about about uh fbi agent played by elizabeth olsen who goes to to investigate a murder and then just all the crazy things that happen and it's just a really well-made thriller yeah, that's one that i've been wanting to see i really like sheridan um those are the two things i've seen from him as well uh, I love listening to interviews and reading things that he's written. Um, my brother's a big fan of some of the stuff he's written. And so I saw the trailer for this, and it was something that I really wanted to see. For whatever reason, I'm really drawn to these crime movies just set out in the the northern, middle-of-nowhere areas. Uh, probably why I love movies like Insomnia so much, just this crime in a town set apart from any other near civilization is such an interesting setting to me. So I saw the trailer and it's, it's definitely on my to see list. Yeah. It's in pretty limited release, but if you, if you can get a chance, it's definitely worth a watch. Um, and if it sounds like I'm rambling with these, I am cause I, I have no notes. I'm going off the top of my head. I usually have everything written out. Uh, and then I saw rush, uh, Ron Howard's film with, uh, Daniel Brühl and Chris Hemsworth, uh, really great sports film. Fantastic performances from Chris Hemsworth, who I think people over because he is just such a perfectly 
made human being, people have just overlooked just how great of an actor he is. And he in this film he he's playing, you know, the the cocky uh handsome charismatic guy but he does it so well that i i i really think he's a fantastic actor who just kind of gets passed off as a pretty boy um and the daniel Bruhl is also phenomenal in this just a really well-made film about a formula one racing really excellent exciting racing scenes and i think it does a kind of a unique twist on the well-worn sports genre it's well worth seeing uh, definitely uh, made me a bit more uh, confident in him doing uh, the Han Solo film. Um, then I saw Love and Friendship, which is a adaptation of a Jane Austen novella starring Kate Beckinsdale. Uh, and if you like Jane Austen, you'll love this. It's just lots of wonderful, witty English people talking, and it's it's pure heaven for me. Uh, really wonderful little movie. Uh, then I've wa- then I've watched over the last two weeks I've watched through Iron Fist and the Defenders I saw the Defenders all in a 24 hour period (laughs) Uh, Iron Fist no one likes it and I know why I understand that it's not terrible people have been saying it's horrible it's really not it's just fine Um, decent story stretched way too long kind of bland characters Uh, yeah it's okay Uh, the Defenders is definitely better than uh Luke Cage or Iron Fist, but it just feels like they're like with Jessica Jones and the two Daredevil seasons, they 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 went so deeply into these characters and and you know dealt with these really fascinating themes. It seems like since ever since Jessica Jones, they just stopped doing that, and they seem like pretty generic procedurals or with with, with uh, superheroes and. The Defenders was really fun, and but there was really no character growth or depth to any of it, and also the action was really disappointing. I was I went and YouTubed some scenes from Daredevil, and they still blow me away. But the the stuff in the Defenders looked like every other TV show for the most part, just kind of choppy editing and close ups, which is really disappointing. But the cast is the cast is great, and just having them all together, uh, just the team dynamic and the fun crazy villains and all the hijinks they get through and also being eight episodes helped a lot because the main problem with the last three three uh, seasons has been they've been too long um and so to have it being eight episodes they could actually you know have momentum and pacing the things that action storytelling needs and so for whatever it lacked in like a dramatic and character area i think it really made up for in just just solid pacing and just being the kind of the cool factor of having all these characters together punching people. Yeah, one of the things that I just found really disappointing is that the only seasons I've seen is both of the Daredevil seasons and Jessica Jones, and that all three of those are essentially TV perfection to me. Yeah, and so I I get so excited with the Defenders coming out. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna rewatch through those, and then finally see Luke Cage and Iron Fist. But it's everything I keep hearing is that the seasons that I've seen are by far the best. And really all I've got to look forward to is the same tone and characters, but just executed not nearly as well. But I, I'll, I'll do it, though, because I'm still excited to see The Defenders. It's, 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 de- it's definitely worth watching. All right. Uh, so anything else you want to mention before we move into the main review? I think I'm ready. 
Alright, let's begin our review of Secondhand Lions. Secondhand Lions was released in 2003. It was written and directed by Tim McCanleys on a budget of $30 million, and it grossed $76 million. It stars Haley Joel Osment, Robert Duvall, Michael Caine, Kira Sedgwick, Nikki Cat, Eric Balfour, and Josh Lucas. It was shot by Jack Green, and the score was composed by Patrick Doyle. And, uh, James, I'm going to get you to read a brief synopsis if you don't mind. Sure. A coming-of-age story about a shy young boy sent by his irresponsible mother to spend the summer with his wealthy, eccentric uncles in Texas. Um, so this was a kind of a family favorite in our house growing up. Um, I don't remember when I first saw it, but it was one of those kind of go-to films as kids who would just go and watch whenever we wanted to see something. Um, so I, I definitely breathed a sigh of relief when I heard that you were had already seen this because I was worried, you know, Will this childhood magic work if he hasn't seen it before? But uh, I, I'm glad that you've already seen it. What, what is your history with this? Very, very similar. I think we bought it whenever it first came out. Um, and yeah, it just ended up becoming a go-to for us as kids. Um, and then it, it was one that was played at our house all the time, not to the disappointment of our parents, which is what <laughs> I think is so good about this movie is I, it is kid friendly and it is everything about it is entertaining for a child, but it's still a good movie. And so my parents were able to bear with us as we turned it on once every week. This is one of those films. I kind of understand the reaction it got, but also I don't. I, It's one of those films that I think perfectly captures like childhood. There, there's something people do, like when a film is bad, they say, oh, it was made for kids, so it's okay that it was bad. And I, I really don't like that. But this is a film that I say it, it, it is for kids. I'm not sure how well it would work for someone who came to it as an adult. But I don't think that, that – I don't – I can't say it's like it's because it's bad. It's just – I think it's made in such a way that can so perfectly capture a child's imagination – Especially boys. I, I was actually curious watching this because it is such a boys movie, how much it would appeal to girls. Well, I can confirm uh, that my younger sisters definitely enjoyed it. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, but uh, it, it it captures this just the sense of adventure with this this place that we would all want we really want to go to. You want you want to spend your summer with these uncles. And hear stories about the their crazy exploits in Africa, and the adventure scenes were always fantastic. I know they kind of defined my play for for a couple months after seeing it. You know, going around sword fighting trees, pretending to be hub and whatnot, and saving princesses and all that stuff. Yeah, it definitely affected me in the same way. Um, I think there's just something about movies about stories that I love. Because it is all about imagination. And so as as Haley Joel Osment's character is essentially having to picture what's going on in his own head and hearing all these stories, me as a viewer, I end up doing the exact same thing with brand new stories after I see it. Like you said, going off and pretending you're these characters. So it's it's the same reason I love this. It's the same reason I, I like things like Life of Pi and other things where it's someone telling someone else about 
about these experiences and and getting to see these two characters interact with each other about these different stories that have happened. It's just a lot of fun to me. Yeah, watching it, the the only the film I think it it reminded me the most of is the the Sandlot, which. I, I discovered once on a visit to my aunt's, and I think I watched it like four times in a week. It's just one of these movies that just, as I said, as I said perfectly captures just childhood. It just captures how kids think and function in the world in a way that we rarely see. But usually when we have films like, that we feel really beautifully capture childhood, they're aimed at adults who want to feel nostalgic about being a kid. It's, I, I, I like when you have a good film that is made specifically for children that, that captures that feeling. Um, but it's also, not, again, not, not insulting to adults. Yeah. And what I liked about this one was that it's, it, it separates him from other children to where it's – it's like, even though we there are other great movies about you know you you mentioned the Sandlot, other movies about kids interacting with each other. This one is solely about him with two older people, and so it focuses just on him as a kid. What does he think? Looking around things, there's everything is seen from his point of view, without you know the interaction conversations of other kids in the mix. And I, th- I think what it does really well is what you were saying earlier, where it feels very real. Like a- as a kid, I remember seeing it, thinking I would do the exact same thing as he would do. I remember the, the scene where he's-, he's hesitant to go up the stairs. Uh, like, yeah, that place looks creepy. And then just seeing him sit down on the front porch in boredom, waiting for something to happen out on this farm that he doesn't want to be a part of. It's it- he feels like a real kid in this situation and so i think the movie is made well enough where adults can enjoy it but as a kid you're just watching this and it it's very easy to empathize with what's going on because it it does it all feels genuine to like the life of a child yeah something about it it almost feels like you are hearing you you are seeing it through the imagination like the way he imagines uh, Garth's stories. It almost feels like the film is told in that exact same style to where everything's really heightened and the characters, you you could call them caricatures, but they're, they're lovingly drawn caricatures, you know? <laughs> uh, I guess let's, let's just run through, run through the uh, cast. Uh, I think Haley Joel Osment is really excellent in this role. You know, a very, you know, quiet introverted and kind of kid who has is really disconnected because his mother is you know constantly leaving him getting into and going and getting into trouble and lying to him and he really has nowhere no like foundation and i think uh he i'm guessing he he looks like maybe around like 14 or something and i thought he did a really good job of uh showing that but but also still and not not being boring, he was whenever he was on screen, he he, I think he he commands the screen pretty well. Yeah, it's it's really impressive when you're sharing the screen with people like Robert Duvall and Michael Caine, but it never felt like he was the lesser actor acting like trying to keep up with these two, all of like their dynamic and their interactions and the back and forth. It all felt 
very real. And, you know, clearly after Sixth Sense, everybody knew that uh, he was a fantastic actor. But it was just great to see him continue to do something after that with other great actors and see that it wasn't just a, a one trick thing. He was, he's still a great actor and he's still, I think he's a much different character in this than he was in Sixth Sense, but he's still given a, a big emotional range. And I think he completely sells every scene he's in. That's really demanding a lot from him. Yeah. And whether it's this very, you know, wide eyed childlike wonder while he's listening to Garth's stories or, him kind of having to man up and stand up to his mother or to her abusive, her latest abusive boyfriend. I think he, you know, he, and also just, you know, his interactions with, uh, with, uh, Robert Duvall and Michael Cade, he really just holds his own. And a, as the definite lead of the film, I think he, he keep, he holds it together very well, but uh, <laughs> moving on to the, the uncles who are both fantastic played by Robert Duvall and Michael Caine. Um, I mean, they're two of the absolute great actors, and especially Robert Duvall. I think he gets the he gets more a bit more character work here, but the way he just plays, you know, this incredibly crotchety yet, you know, honor bound uh, character who kind of ha- who feels just uh, useless because he's getting old. His life his life has always been defined by. Um, you know, youth and energy and exploits and adventure. And now he has all that's gone. He just kind of wants to die. Um, and that, that sounds very depressing, <laughs> but it, it, it's, it's played in a very humorous way. And he does it, you know, to where you completely believe he's feeling all these things. And yet, yet you just kind of chuckle along with it. Yeah. It, what I liked about him and Michael Caine together was that even though I, you could, in a way, say that, yes, they are caricatures. I still never doubted for a second that these were people in this world. Um, mm-hmm. And you, we, we see his history in these stories that Michael Caine's character tells. And then when we see Robert Duvall, I believe it. He's, he carries himself like he has a sense of history. It, it didn't really feel like a performance. It felt like this was a real person who had done all of these things that we've, we've now been, that we've now heard about. And he, or did he? Or did he? Don't know. But it's, I don't know. It, it was really, it's, one of, one of my favorite things about it, other than just the fact that he, he does feel like a real person. And one of the things that I definitely liked about his performance was that this easily could have just been another grumpy old man character. But I think one with Robert Duvall being the fantastic actor he is and just the writing and they, they kind of knew who this character was. And like you said, even if you're going to call it a caricature, it's it's still a loving caricature. He's, he's the funny, grumpy old man. He's the one that that's easy for the audience to really grow attached to, um, which I think works really well for the story because we, we meet him as a very grumpy person. But because he's not just horrifically unlikable it's really enjoyable to see him grow from the character he is at the very beginning to the person he is at the very end and see the relationship kind of bloom between him and, uh, and his nephew and the back and forth that they have. Yeah. There's a, there, 
there is a very sad, like somber, introspective drama with this character out there somewhere. But even though this is a very fun, lighthearted film, and his character is incredibly fun, the way they balance the inherent sadness and heartache of his character within the you know joyous uh, context of the film is really impressive. Like I think both sides actually work remarkably well, and it never feels disingenuous when it's funny or when it's serious with his character. And uh, I mean, obviously, a lot of that goes to Robert Duvall, but I think it also does go to to uh, McCanley's writing, and he's he's actually. The he's the credited writer for the Iron Giant, oh, which wow. is a another one of those films that you know really captures the feeling of childhood. So I think that's something he he, he really uh, specializes in. Definitely, I I definitely see why I have similar emotional feelings to both movies now. Um, and uh, Michael Caine, his he, his character is doesn't have the the arc that Robert Duvall's does, but I mean he's Michael Caine with a Texas accent. I mean, what is there not to love about that? Uh, and I, I like how he's, he's you know, the quieter, more balanced, sensible one. And I, I do love how, in the end, kind of Hub always has to listen to him. <laughs> he kind of, He's the one, you know, who always, who can boss him around. He's kind of the brains of the outfit. And even though Hub is, it's, it's a really, it's a really fun dynamic. You would think Hub would always be the leader, but but Michael Caine kind of is always there getting his way. Uh, obviously not in a conniving way, but just in a, in you know, a loving way. You, you really, they really feel like brothers and how, how well they get to, they go together. Exactly. Like, you know, almost every, every relationship between brothers has an actual legitimate dynamic. And this definitely was a situation in which like, like Robert Duvall as a character by himself, you buy the sense of history. I definitely buy the sense of history between the two together. Like everything that we've been told, these two actors as these characters have experienced it all together. And there's this history, and you can see, you know, the way they insult each other or laugh with each other, that there's still a genuine bond with them that's been built over these years. And um, and obviously it's gonna be played to perfection by Michael Caine. I like to think that I think everybody kind of thinks of Michael Caine as, as their third granddad. Just, <laughs> he just has that inherent quality about him. And he definitely doesn't have the same kind of arc or growth, um, if any, really, as uh, Robert Duvall. But I still think the script manages to make him still feel like a character who has, if not grown a whole lot, still experienced it all. And and have been and has been very important to the plot, and incredibly important to the the actual arc of the other character. And so, one of the interesting things about the dynamic was that this movie was all about the growth of you know Haley Joel Osment's character and Robert Duvall's character. And we have we have this one person played by Michael Caine who's kind of the constant. He's here for the two of these characters to grow and learn what they have to learn. He's, he's almost playing uncle to both Billy Joel Osment and um, Robert Duvall in that as they're learning these life lessons, he's telling the stories to Haley Joel Osment, but he's also, like you said, kind of in control, but not in that conniving way of what's going on 
with the like the adult situation. But he's also kind of in control of of just the two uncles and their lives, like without being conniving, like you had said. But just that that kind of constant that person who makes these decisions and in the end kind of knows knows what's right and knows these decisions to make. And so even though he's not having his actual growth and there's not really a line you can trace from point A to point B, he still feels like a real person who has a purpose in this. And I think obviously the movie would suffer big time if he weren't in it. Mm -hmm. And, but the, the, the good thing is he, he's never a stick in the mud. You know, he enjoys shooting at fish just as much as anybody (laughs) or, uh, you know, buying a used lion and for sport, uh, there's, it's 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 just such a wonderful dynamic between the two of them and then the three of them once he finally gets there, and you know, <laughs> a wonderful scene between them is after uh after the relatives first show up and and uh, Walter runs away to to call his mom and he finds out she's lying lying about it and he knows he has no idea where she is, <laughs> and they're all talking and they're, they're tr- kind of trying uh, each in their own way to convince him to uh. To stay or well hub isn't really trying he's like oh, have uh, good luck in minnesota and he's like i guess i should get going which way's north <laughs> points. i, I and, love uh, that little it's so easy to miss but it's such a great and I, I love that that they decide to keep him because he makes the relatives mad <laughs> and so they kind of have to make a deal with him to to get him to stay so that so they can get rid of the relatives so uh, apart from the cast, there's a lot of other things about the movie that I, I do think work really well. One of them, I, I think this movie moves really, really well. Yeah. There's never there's never a moment where you feel like the, the scene is unnecessary or the scene is dragging or the scene is reiterating what the other scenes already said. I, I think part of what helps is having these stories. It, it almost feels like you can break the movie off into sections. Like we have our beginning and the introduction of the character. And then you see the actual dynamic between these characters and as they kind of grow to learn more about each other. And then we're given the first story and then it, it, it changes the way the characters look at each other as they continue to grow. And then the next scene happens and it adds another layer to the characters in their current state. And then we go back and get another story and we learn why this is it. It's always moving and the characters are always learning more and more about each other. And there's never really a scene that's just kind of there to be there. It always feels like every scene is given an actual meaning. There's, there's always a point to what's happening on the screen, whether it's, you know, to, to inform us about something of a hubs character or just to show us how Walter is processing it all. Um, and so I, I think that's, it's pretty impressive for a movie that's just about a kid on a farm with his two old uncles. The fact that it moves along so well and it keeps your attention without ever really stumbling. Yeah. That's something I really noticed this last time is, is just how well paced it is. And you know, it's, it's only an hour and 40 minutes and there are actually a lot of uh, deleted scenes. I think they, they were wise to trim it down because it does feel like every scene is needed it goes on as long as it should, and it just moves on. The The worst thing this film could have possibly been was boring. And I think it, it moves well enough to where that's never a danger. And just one thing I, I absolutely adore about this movie is just how ridiculously quotable it is. You know, nearly 
every line from the uncles is is just a, a fantastic quote. You know, just a dumb kid. Huh? Don't kill him. <laughs> you know, well, we'll hear what he's selling and then we'll shoot him. <laughs> this guy is good. And uh, probably the one I quote the most is, I want to go home now, which I basically use every time I'm at a social gathering and my introversion is getting the best of me. <laughs> There's even outside of just lines, there are even specific scenes, you know, that at least for me growing up, it had been years since I'd last seen this, but there are moments in the movie that always stick with me just because of, I don't know, it's like they were made to be iconic. I think the one that everybody who loves the movie always thinks of is, is the fight at the diner and then the, the scene instantly after. It's, it's such a fun moment. I think that scene kind of encapsulates part of what I love about this movie, that it, it's it's really fun. It's it's an enjoyable scene just to sit down and watch, but it's still about the characters. Like, there's still meaning behind it. We get this, this fun fight where we get to root for an old man who's beating up a bunch of young punks, but then it cut, you know, after it's all said and done, it goes back to the actual point of the movie and who this character is and why why it is satisfying to see him beat the crap out of this guy. And then just based on the kind of person he is, they, they learn from it. And even though there, there's not really a lot of it with them afterwards, you can't help but feel like they've grown to be better people now. And it's, it's, it's fun with meaning. And mm-hmm. to me, that's kind of what this movie is. <laughs> it's just the fun. It's like, a, you know, did I ask you to butt in? Well, you just got out of the hospital. There's only four of them. <laughs> and just the excitement in Hub's eyes after Garth gives him permission that he can take on the three <laughs> if he fights the one first. You, you, can, you can understand why that would be his reaction. You know, after everything we've been told about this character, he's, he has no meaning, no, no usefulness. And here he's, he's got this approval to, to kind of do something to feel young again. And it's so much fun seeing Duvall play a character like that. Yeah, and also, as you said, the char- the character moments within it are fantastic. The, the speech or the the monologue that uh, Hub gives after he's like, "Yeah, who do you think you are?" and he just grabs him by the throat, and like I'm Hub again, and just goes on his monologue about all his exploits. It's it's like you get chills just because of how much conviction he brings. You know, I loved only one woman with a passion a flea like you could never understand. I just remember thinking, especially this last time, like I would have dropped a knife after after hearing this. This is a guy that doesn't mess around. Yeah, and, and I love his little touch. It, it cuts back to uh, Walter's face, and you see the wonder in his eyes because he's seeing those stories that, that Garth has been telling him come to life right in front of him. It, it feels it's like a- that's the moment in the movie where where they're becoming more than just stories. Like he's seeing these this story justified in front of his eyes like this this is no longer just a tale and so that that's that's where a lot of the fun to me comes from is we're getting almost to to enjoy seeing this with someone else who's experiencing the same thing that we are yeah and, and i know we're trying to analyze we're looking at this in the eyes of adults but it's i, I want to just get across just how enjoyable this film is uh I, I kind of wish I could, you know, like watch it again through the eyes of a child, just to experience just the pure joy. Um, 
that it has in there, you know. And like I, I like how you know after they, they beat him, they beat up the kids. They don't just leave. Of course, he takes them home and he's like smacking the, the steaks on their face, uh, and, uh, inviting him to dinner. <laughs> like the, the, the kids let the lion out. And he goes like, "Lion, you got a lion?" <laughs> he's like, he doesn't even doubt. He's like, "Yeah, of course these guys would have a lion." <laughs> yeah, and just this scene, like we're. <laughs> All the people burst out of the house, and all of them are armed. Even the little boys are like, <laughs> each holding an end of a gun. I mean, it's just stupid, but it's just hilarious. I think. Yeah, this, there's really there's something really weird with the tone of me, like in, in a good way, like with, with lines like "you you have a lion," where it it almost <laughs> feels like it's being overacted, but it still somehow works. Um, like it sometimes it feels goofy, but never overtly goofy or you know unbearably uh and you had kind of mentioned this earlier where we we get different moments of of a hub in his sadness as well as just him being such an enjoyable and fun character and i think the movie is kind of that way as well just juggling all these different things and there's very few characters and when they do come in sometimes they do feel like caricatures but they're always fun. I, I love, I love the relatives. Uh, <laughs> every scene with them and it to me is hysterical. It, 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 it works for the story. That's what that's what I like. Or part of what I like about it is they're not filler. They don't they don't exist just to drag it on. It tells us a lot about you know who these uncles have been. They're they're people who haven't been in touch with any of their relatives. And now, you know, now that the word is out, they're getting all of these, all of these other people who you know, want their money and things like that. And it, it also says a lot about Walter that of all of the people coming here for this, this is the only person that that they make any sort of connection with. And clearly he ends up getting it in the will. And so the, the relatives in the movie, they serve a comedic purpose, but they're once again, they exist to exemplify something else about one of our major characters. So even when they show up to provide us some comedic relief, although, I mean, it, it's a pretty, it's, it's a funny movie. So there's not really a lot of that that's necessary. I don't see why you have to drive. It's my car. And I, I, I love how, uh, when they're all sitting together on the porch and the, uh, and they, they very clearly bought him a soda and not the other <laughs> the people. It just the eyes that Robert Duvall has is looking back and forth, like he's he's wanting them to say something. You can see that he's he's just completely giddy at the prospect of them finally stepping up over the soda. <laughs> okay, just the idea of two old men with shotguns sitting on their porch, shooting at salesmen uh, as their sport of choice, and then you obviously you have the salesmen who had that experience and obviously it comes back with what he thinks they'll want. <laughs> like, well, why don't, why don't you just find out what he's selling? Huh? Like I never thought about that. What the, it was weird. Um, I had never thought about this before, but seeing this, even I, I know it wouldn't have been a good idea, but I couldn't help but almost wish there was a sequel. Just kind of continuing to explore what Walter's life growing up looked like. I think it's because overall my, my favorite thing about the movie just uh, was just the relationship 
that Walter had with these people um, from the start to finish. I, I love how naturally I think the relationship builds, uh, which partly goes with um, just the pacing of the movie. It's, it never feels like a bond is formed too quickly or not quick enough. And it's just such a joy to watch it happen to where you know, at the very end is, as he's saying, you know, maybe, maybe we can buy him from her. It makes sense <laughs> because we've seen it. Um, and we've seen it unfold in a very realistic way. And just every scene with the three of them together is just such a joy to watch that you almost wish that you got to see what happens after he comes back with his suitcase and he continues to live in that farm. What, how different their lives alone look now that I mean, before, before him, he or they had never even thought about potentially buying any of this. And now clearly by the end, they've got this yacht in this small <laughs> pond. It's, I think yeah. it's, it's the right amount of like leaving you wanting more, but in a good way. Yeah. What would it be like if hub ate vegetables? I want to see that movie. I want to see that dinner at the, at the table because I I just know that there's going to be a just like the the actual movie itself. There's a lot of great quotable lines in a scene like that. One scene I think perfectly encapsulates the tone of sadness and just humor is a uh, hub sword fighting in the lake with the plunger, <laughs> which is such a hysterically funny image. But you you hear the uh like Arabian Nights music in the background, the sound effects of the swords. So it's it, it, it's like it's both sad and hilariously funny, and also kind of there's something wonderful about it. That just, you 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 have to know what this guy's story is. And then one of my favorite parts of the of the whole film is the story sequences, is because they are they're Walter's imagination. We're getting to see, to peek into a child's mind as he's watching a great story. They they should make movies like this, (laughs) you know, uh, just how, how, how ridiculous it all is. You know, Garth is obviously this really dorky guy with these glasses and, and (laughs) he's always, he's always having to have hub save him and just how ridiculously awesome hub is. And kind of, kind of like a Zorro figure, and the, the sword fights they do they're, they're they're really fun and they're utterly ridiculous, but they're actually like I think really well well put together sword fights as well. Um, and I love like the sheik. He's got the eye patch and the scar, and he just sits around cackling. And the, the assassins are all there. Uh, it, it's just it's just there's there's shown in such a pure childlike way. Uh, it's hard to explain, but I think it's it's one of the things the film does so well. It's exactly how a kid would imagine this looking, you know, this this other land that they haven't seen and only heard it described. And I do like that they went pretty stylized with it. Like it's almost just the movie morphs into, you know, an old adventure serial. And uh, I also like this there's a lot of funny just hidden jokes built into it because this isn't reality. They can make fun, like um, use funny set dressings and things. I, I love the, uh, I forget what the exact number is, but the, the hall of 
<laughs> however many 1,837 tortures. And then they, they have signs saying tortures 1 through 1,000 to the left, tortures uh, 1,001 to 2,000 to the right. It's it's just a funny – like be, because the rest of the movie is grounded in reality, what makes these sequences so much fun is that they do kind of feel, uh, have the opportunity to just go crazy – because it's it is a kid's imagination, so they're able to anything that a, a child might conjure up when hearing these stories, they're able to put on screen, and it, it is it's fun to see that juxtaposed. And then, like you say, it's fun, funny, or fun and funny, as well as you know, fairly sad to see these adventurous sections juxtaposed onto Robert Duvall fighting with the plunger out. You know, this <laughs> this old man without even realizing it, attempting to relive his past. Um, it's it's a tightrope to walk, uh, but I think the movie does it really well to where you never feel guilty for thinking it's fun and funny, but you also it's not weird that you're also acknowledging the actual sadness behind part of what's going on. Yeah, there's a great like Raiders of the Lost Ark feel to all of those scenes, whether you're just being chased around by assassins and these they have to come up with these ingenious plots to get the uh, the uh, the sheik off their back. Uh, I love it. It's just it's just Garth with a headdress on. He's so obviously a white guy with his glasses, and then obviously <laughs> they pile all the gold on him. He's just kind of staggering around. Um. That you you have the two versions of the scene. One is Garth's version, and the other is what was probably reality. And the, uh, the scenes like that just it captures you know what a, how a kid thinks, and you know how when we have our toys out, how we play our play these games, and how we have adventures uh, in our mind. And like you know the horse race, obviously, hubs on a white horse dressed all in white. And the princess is on like a a jet black horse dressed in black. And then, you know, so, and then they see each other and obviously they fall in love because that's what people do, right? I, I, I love like all this, the kind of the stories people have of what these guys did, you know. I know that they are ex-mafia hitmen and they are on the run with millions they stole from Al Capone. <laughs> and I, I wanted to talk about, you know, the core theme of this film, you know, which is the, uh, the story. The story, uh, uh, or Hub's, you know, what every boy needs to know about being a man speech that he gives to the, the four pugs. And, and I, I believe they, they went on and lived up, you know, productive lives <laughs> after their encounter with Hub. But, uh, the, the part he tell he tell he does tell Walter is, you know, uh, I guess paraphrasing, you know, there are some things that we sh- should believe in whether they're true or not, because, because, you know, they're worth believing. Um, and, you know, the examples he gives, you know, good always triumphs over evil. True love never dies. Uh, I forget the other ones. Do you, do you remember any other ones? Uh, people are basically good. Money, things like money mean nothing and love means everything. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I find it very fascinating. Like, you know, the things that people, you know, have to believe, the stories we have to tell ourselves to get through life, you know. 
telling ourselves that good will ultimately triumph over evil obviously is a good thing and but you know ultimately i, I think that's <laughs> that is a rather flawed philosophy um you know as a christian i think truth obviously matters and a lot of things he says were true. Yeah, I, I do believe good will triumph over evil, but I don't think we could. I don't think we should just go about it just because uh, that believing that makes life better. So, um, to heck with truth. That's what we'll believe. You know, I understand where it's going for. I, I do like. I do like this. I really like the scene. You know, you know, the way he you know he ends it with you know, good always triumphs over evil, and we, we kind of. You have to believe that even when, even as the things go wrong, you know, you have to have that, you have to know that, you have to believe that in your mind just to, you know, to keep going as you see, like, if evil, seem, even if evil seems to triumph, if you, if you know that good's going to win, you can, you can keep going kind of thing. And, uh, you know, I think, obviously, I think it's philosophically muddled, but <laughs> it is, it is, there's a good message in there, I think. Yeah. Part of me had, almost wish though that we didn't even really hear the speech um just because the whole it's almost like even though this movie is completely different like what's in the briefcase in pulp fiction where we can be told it's great and just the, the movie doesn't have to try to live up to its own expectations by n never showing it um, but I think we did need that part though, because you know it, that goes back to his uncle's legacy and is what were these stories true? You know, did they really were they were they bank robbers? Were they mafia hitmen? Did they win their money in a lawsuit? We don't. I, I like that. Uh, you know, we he 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 chooses to believe this because it's it's the, it's, it's it's the best story. Um, and you know. Uh, uh, you know he he's how he stands up to uh his mother and stan by using you know defend yourself the line from the story because but because you know believing that story will help him get through this rough time right now and so i i do think we need to hear at, the, at least that line maybe i just wish part of it some of it felt i don't know not Cliché feels like the wrong word, but I, I guess it's just one of those instances where there's really not that not a lot that can be done because a, a lot of what the movie's been or maybe not a lot of it, but the, the movie is definitely referred to this speech that is clearly an impactful one given what we just the reaction it gets just from these people who are incredibly antagonistic just before. And so you can't help but wonder what the speech itself is. It, it's not just a regular talk that someone would give. And, and so to hear it and to hear things like you say, where it's just this kind of philosophically muddled um, speech that still sounds good and does have a, does have a good message in it, it still, for me, doesn't live up to what you would imagine it is, at least watching through it as, as you – the the image of Robert Duvall's character outside the window speaking to these young men, just their demeanor at hearing it, you can't help but feel like something incredibly powerful is being imparted. So to to hear at least a portion of that speech and to be like, okay, that that I, I can see that, 
is just a, a, at least a tad disappointing. I, I don't know if I agree with that, but my, my, I guess my one flaw with the film is that we do we see the sheik's grandson in the end, and I think it kind of mess it up. Uh, Weak is the message because you know the message is Walter believes these stories because it's 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 the story worth believing in, and it's the same for me. I, you know, as a kid, you know, I I thought, oh, it's cool, those stories were true, but you know, you know, watching as an adult, we don't need that. I'm gonna believe that they went to Africa and had adventures for forty years because it's a good story. It's a story worth believing. I di- I didn't really need to see it kind of explicitly confirmed. Yeah, I. Um, I was, I'm not really sure. I, I was definitely kind of on the fence this most recent time because like you, I, I didn't even, I wasn't even picking up on it. You know, the first time as a child on all of these, these ideas of believing in things for the sake of believing in them. To me, whenever, as a, as a kid, whenever the helicopter lands and he, he steps out, I'm just like, of course, of course. Like, I'm, I'm not surprised at all that the Sheik was real. I mean, the old um, Garth said it was real, so it's it's very clear all these people have the wrong idea. Uh, but now you know, picking up on what's actually being said, the themes of the movie, I I still I enjoy it just because of the expression we see on Walter's face after it's it's finally confirmed because he has he has chosen to believe it clearly, and so now mm-hmm. to have all of these years having believed this to see it confirmed and to see the joy on his face, to feel justified in what he was told that he, he believed in the story that was worth, worth believing in. And the story that was worth believing in turned out to be true. Like good did end up try, uh, triumphing in this case. It's, it's a moment. Mm-hmm. It's just a nice moment to see Walter get, even though I, there's not any bit of me that, that doubts that he's, he's, he himself has ever doubted the stories. It's still nice to see this character that we've grown close with over the past hour and a half get that moment to where he everything he's chosen to believe is justified in front of his eyes. Yeah, I I, I think it's a it is a really great moment. I think Josh Lucas is really good there. You know that line where he's like he almost crying with joy, like yeah, they really lived. It's just, it is a wonderful moment, even though. <laughs> it does muddle a little bit the the, the theme. Uh, just a couple more things. Um, I really like uh, Patrick Doyle's score. Um, I think you know just whether it's this the fun Texas music uh, or you know the bombastic uh, Arabian style music that plays over the adventures. Uh, uh, the music at the duel or when he when he beats um when he beats him and he's standing on the ledge, you know. Twice I have had your life in my hands, and twice I have given it back to you. And the music just swells. Um, it's not very subtle, but I think it, 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 it again. This is the score that a child would put over that scene, and it just it really works in the in the uh, style that this film is in. Yeah, and, and then outside of those the story segments, the music just feels like, in a word, to me, sentimental. Like it's sometimes movies are are accused of trying to emotionally manipulate their audience through music and through these other things. And that's always been a, a criticism that's kind of left me scratching my head because, of course, that's what a movie is doing. It's, it's meant to manipulate you into having 
different, like elicit different emotions. And so there are moments at the end, um, as he comes back and the music just swells and it, you know, you get, for me, I even got a little teary eyed as he comes back with his uncles because we know what this moment means. And the, the music is just, mm-hmm. just enough to kind of push you over to uh, fully buy into all of this and everything that's going on. And it works for that. Me cry. It works for that moment so well, even though it is yeah. not at all subtle, it's, it's still capturing everything that the movie said on screen in music form because the movie itself is over the top because it's all seen from the perspective of a child. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, one character we didn't mention much is uh, Kira Sedgwick as his mother. Um, and I, I really liked her role. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of a thankless role because the character is pretty unlikable for the most part. Uh, but I think she does get a great moment at the end you know, after Walter jumps off the car and they meet in on the bridge, it's like a, it's actually like a surprisingly serious and thoughtful scene compared to how how lighthearted the film has been. You know, where you just see how lost she feels, like as a human being, and we you know we all know that that person who is who never who could never do right and always every single time reliably makes the wrong choice, and she's that kind of person. And she's, it's like, in that moment, she's like even self-aware to what she is. And you see kind of the sadness in her, and she's like, I don't have a choice. Or like, you know, oh gosh, the line where he's like, did, did he, has he hit you yet? It almost feels like out of a much darker film. But it, it's, it really, it's really up moving. And I think she, she does, even though she's really caricature for the most part, when it counts, I think she she plays that character with a bit more heart than it required. It, what I really like about the character is that the movie didn't even really have to do that. They could have just had her be, at her very core, just selfish. And in a lot of ways, the very clear antagonist. And he could have just escaped from the car and ran away, and that could have been the end. But they did... They, they ended up taking the time to layer her and to make her feel like a real person to, to the point to where everything you said is true. It does feel like that, uh, that person that we know who ends up making all these decisions because they feel like it's, it's just the one that's in front of them. It's, it's who they are and it's inevitable and it's what they're going to end up doing. And in her mind, she doesn't really feel as if there's anything she can do to fight back. And I love the shot of just them hugging. That there's still, in spite of of her selfishness, there's still that father or a, there's still that mother son relationship. There's still a genuine care between these two characters. And the movie wasn't content to just paint her as the as the villain. This is the clear villain whose only motivation is to be the villain. This is a real person who has real problems and. <laughs> when some of the problems, like the situations that she's gotten herself in, do come to screen, it does feel darker. Like you said, when whenever he asks, has you know, has he hit her yet? And it, and then he kind of references to other things that have happened to her in the past. It all ends up making her into an actual character, as opposed to just an obstacle. Yeah, 
And one thing I, I want to go back to is, uh, you know, Walt, Walter's, you know, arc across the film, you know, as the, the kid of this completely unreliable mother who constantly lies to him and, and he, he just doesn't know how to trust anybody. And there's another really sad moment when he's on, when he's on the phone, desperately trying to get a hold of his mother and she, and like they, he, he gives them one, her, her name and then they no. And then he just, he uh, runs through this spiel of uh, all these other aliases she's had. <laughs> there, there's such a sad story just in that, that right, that moment right there. You know, again, like, you know, building the, the building the character in the past where you feel this kid's history. Um, and I love how, you know, just the slowly unraveling mystery as I think uh, we talked about the pacing. I think it, it, uh, it teases out, you know, the mystery of who his uncles are. You know, he, he finds the picture and then he sees them sword fighting. And then, you know, that you get little bits of the, um, of the, uh, story throughout the film and you, you, you really just see the change in his character as as he grows, you know, they shot the film in sequence, and you know his his voice breaks over the course of the film, and you really feel like you know he's grow like the kid who was dropped off in the beginning would never have stood up to a stand like that in that moment, and it's just it's so wonderfully subtle how slowly it's built across the film, you know, till the final moment where he where he jumps out of the car and and you know, kind of makes that decision for himself too say with his uncles it's just it's just such a wonderful arc that is really i think really well played by uh Haley joel osment i think i don't think he gets enough credit for this role yeah he's he was so great in sixth sense that it you know just because of what that movie is and what it's done that's always the the role that people go to but i mean i think like we've said before just the fact that he's holding his own with these other actors is reason enough to to praise him for this role as well. And one of the moments to me that it was kind of similar to the moment where, you know, he's listing off all of these names that she's used was whenever she shows up at the house at night. And I can't help but imagine that this scenario has played out time and time again, where, you know, she, she lies to him and she, she does all these things that are very selfish actions but even still, when he sees her pulls up, or when he when he sees her pull up, he's out the door with a smile on his face, and he instantly hugs her. This this is a child who still it's like his his inclination is to feel attached to his mother and to love her to to run out to her. So to see him bury his head in sadness at the thought that you know she lied to him, and to have that thought confirmed. But then to see her again and to run out, you can't help but think, at least I couldn't, that this this is the tenth time. You know, every every new alias she uses ends up with her once again coming back to him for wherever she had left him this time, and he's he's always there. And uh, you know, he he very much is a different person by the end of the movie. Whenever you know, after running out to her with a smile, once he thinks on it more and realizes that things aren't going to change. He has gone through this arc to where he's willing to get out of the car. And something else that I like a lot about it is how well his arc 
and Hubzark work together, where he's he as a child needs this constant, and he needs to be able to be strong enough to put himself in a situation that would give him a constant. And Hub is in a in a place where he needs to feel useful and with a purpose, and he needs to be a constant for someone else. So to have these the conclusion of both of these arcs meet each other in a way that feels natural and earned. Uh, it was really, it was done really well to me. Yeah. I almost forgot that I had the rain down. Yeah. I, I, I do like, uh, you know, hubs arc and another part where I think the film is actually surprisingly subtle is he's actually a pretty selfish person. You know, he lived, he had his glory days and now that he's old, I mean, he, uh, he's so obsessed with, you know, these feats that – his feats and the great life he had and the love that he lost that he's – he doesn't want to live anymore and he can't see – he doesn't see any purpose in life. And at, at first when I was watching, it was like almost – is this film insulting to old people? Because they're talking about how useless they are. But I think as the end comes around, you see like – you know the the purpose of you know the elderly is to to be a guide to the youth and i i love how over the course of the film you finally you see hints of it like when he uh, gives the 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 punks his speech but you just see that you know how how integral you know older men are to, you know to to guide the next generation and to to guide them to the to the men they have to become and i i love how you know he goes from someone who's incredibly self-centered and thinks he's useless and just wants to die and doesn't really care about the good he can do to someone who's, you know, willing to, to stick around and be this, this, uh, this young boy's uncle, just cause he, he needs someone and to see him, to see him also grow just like uh Haley Joel Osment's character just grows into, you know, a better person by the end is uh, really wonderful. Yeah. I mean, I've said it before, but it, it's still to me really impressive that it can give these two very meaningful arcs in the same movie, and then to have both arcs meet each other in such a, such a way that makes so much sense. It's it's really impressive to happen in such a small movie. I mean, we, we get scenes that are adventurous, but at its core, it's just this isolated location you know that's funny over the course of this recording i'm actually coming to like this film even more you know, I come, it's it it is such a simple wonderful and, and fun childish movie that it's it's easy to know to overlook you know the 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 arcs and the story they're telling that i think are actually very well told um let's see i, I think i've about run out of things it's just Kind of random thing I wanted to mention is I, I love the house. That, that house has so much character to it. This is a ridiculous house with all these weird turrets and and gables with, with no reason, and it's all brown and the rusted. It just it, I, I I would love to live there, and especially as a kid. And then the the, the dogs they have this is this ridiculous assortment of mutts and a bloodhound and a pig. It just it just adds so much life to the movie. Yeah, a, a lot of personality. It could have just felt kind of barren, but with like you said, this huge amount of animals and 
the scenery, it all feels very, very purposeful. Like there's everything in the background, everything in the foreground, it's all there to help tell a story. And it just gives the whole area a great sense of personality. And lots of guns. Oh, yeah. That's that's what... that's what it's like growing up in the South. It really is. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's honestly not an exaggeration. <laughs> All right. I, I think I'm about uh, run out of things to say. Uh, you, you got anything else before we move into our final thoughts? No, I, feel, I feel like I've rambled on most of – rambled on about most of my thoughts now. All right. I, I, so I'll start. I, I, I feel like I've been so disjointed throughout because I had no notes, but uh, I hope we got across just how – how enjoyable this movie is to watch. It's, it's really quotable. The, uh, the acting is really phenomenal, especially from uh, the three leads. And I, again, it, it just captures childhood in a way that a lot of kids' films try to, but very few succeed at. And I very rarely will call a film a kid's film because I, I almost feel as if you know people use that as an excuse for it to be bad. But this this is to its core a kids' film, and it, I think it, you know, in the best possible way. And it it really it really meant a lot to me growing up. You know, like the Sandlot, like those films that just you know capture your imagination and, and you know ex- that that can visualize so beautifully how it feels to be a kid. Um. And I think this film really should be celebrated for that. And then on top of that, it has these really solid arcs uh, with this cast. And it, again, it's it's it really super caricatured and ridiculous, but in a in a very internally consistent way. Um, I just you know, this is a movie that I definitely you know I want my future children to grow up on, kind of thing. And you know, that's about the highest praise I can give a movie. Definitely, I. I- I could see myself looking forward to putting this on and and seeing other children react the same way that I would um, and that I did whenever I saw it. Um, I think one of the reasons that there was it, was it was kind of hard to get notes down about the the movie and why it, it's been fairly scattershot is just like you said I've almost come to like the movie even more when talking about it because. It is such a small, nice little movie that upon thinking about it and trying to put something down on paper, you do overlook a lot of things. So I could probably actually write better notes for an episode now that now that we've talked <laughs> about it and been forced to really think about everything that, that actually happens in this movie. Um, when you're forced to think about who these characters were at the beginning and who they are at the end, and how the movie told the story and changed these characters in front of us in a way that makes sense in, in this world that's both grounded in reality and still characterized and silly. It's, there's, there's a lot of things that happen in this really small movie. And it, it all happens in a way that I, I just think is incredibly enjoyable. That, that's just how I see this movie is a very fun movie to sit down and watch with a great cast and really good themes. And I don't know, like you said, one of the greatest kinds of praise you can say is I, I want my future kids to watch it. And I, I look forward to watching it again. Yeah. It's deceptively cute. It's like easy to, you know, to overlook how lovely it is just because of 
how 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 simple it's it, it seems to be. All right, uh, so that was our review for Secondhand Lions. Oh, by the way, that's a fantastic name. It, it so perfectly captured this this movie. Yeah, because I hadn't seen it in years, I had never really known why it was called Secondhand Lions. My thought as a kid was the lion's barely in it. Why is it named after the lion? Um, and so watching it again, I'm like, oh, okay. My all of my questions as a as a child are answered now. But yeah, it's <laughs> it is a great title. Uh, yeah. So uh, <laughs> we hope you enjoyed that. And uh, if you did, I'd like to ask you to please leave us a review on iTunes. And if you want to follow us, you can like us on Facebook. We are there as Underrated Podcast. And if you want to find other other reviews, you can go to underratedpodcast.com. And if you want to follow us on Twitter, we are underrated underscore pod. All right. Uh, so next week, uh, we will be having a guest. It's uh, Ryan Wall from Article Asylum. And uh, we'll be discussing his pick, Enemy at the Gates, which I don't think I've seen that for like seven or eight years. But I, I do remember liking it. So I'm, I'm excited to talk about that. Yeah, I've actually never seen it, but I've heard good things. And I do look forward to seeing it because I've heard that it it does a lot to separate itself from other war movies. So whether I like it or dislike it, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing it. So until next week, we will see you later. See ya. Sergeyevich Khrushchev. I've come to take things in hand here. This city is not Kursk, nor is it Kiev, nor Minsk. This city is Stalingrad. Stalingrad! This city bears the name of the boss. It's more than a city, it's a symbol. If the Germans capture this city, the entire country will collapse. Now, I want our boys to raise their heads. I want them to act like they have balls. I want them to stop their pants. That's your job. As political officers, I'm counting on you.